0: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 396 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. So that's 3-2, 2022. So there's just a one three in there, but otherwise it's twos. Uh, And this is...
1: There's a zero, too. Sam, there's a zero.
0: Yeah, I just completely completely lost my place, but I'm back now. I'm (laughs) Sam Klein. I am your host. For this episode, we have to talk about the fact that Duke laid, uh, laid down the law yesterday against Jeff Capel and the Pittsburgh Panthers. I am joined, as always, by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Jason, sir, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's, it's getting frightfully easy and not tense
1: to watch Duke basketball games. I kind of enjoy yeah. that. Yeah, it turns out when you're
0: when you're playing a bunch of teams that are like on the on the bubble for making the NIT, uh, then then things get a lot easier. Donald Wine, you're also here uh, and you were in the arena last night at the zoo. What tell us just very, very quickly, what was that like? And then we'll we'll come back and talk more about it.
2: Well, it was fun. Uh, I just got back. I literally drove up yesterday, uh, stayed with a friend. Uh, from soccer and then drove back this morning. So uh, just got in back to D.C. maybe half an hour before we record here. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was my first time at the Pete. And, uh, of course, I will talk about a lot of things that went on in the building uh, as we get into this recap. Did you, did you do any Pittsburgh tourism while you were there,
0: eating at any of their notable food institutions, visiting any of the historical sites? Before we talk about the game, uh, tell us about visiting Pittsburgh, or was it just – in and out for this
2: one event. Like like the California Burger Joint, I was in and out. Uh, I, I went there. I, I've been to Pittsburgh before a few times, so I've seen some of the places. I have eaten at some of said establishments, uh, so I didn't have to bother with that. But uh, yeah, I, I just went there, was there for a couple of hours, went to the game, and then this morning got up very early to drive back. Excellent. Okay,
0: guys, we have to do the headlines. We have to do the good. We have to do, I don't know, I guess a little bit of bad. Yesterday, was it was mostly good for the Blue Devils. It was an 86-56 to 56 victory against Pitt. The game was over about three minutes in. Duke jumped out to a pretty commanding lead and just coasted uh, all the way to the end. There was even less drama in this one than there was against Syracuse, where at least against Syracuse at the end of the first half, there was that run where they ended up down, what, like 14 or so, but the crowd got back into it. I didn't feel much of that. At all yesterday against Pittsburgh, but before we do the details, we have to do the headlines. So, and before I get to the two of you and your headlines, we need to read the headlines that came into the inbox. Um, the we, we got one from the K man uh, said Panthers, incapable of stopping keel mode as devil's clinch top seed in the ACC tournament. That was the other, by the way, big headline from yesterday is the Duke is the number one seed in the ACC tournament and at least gets a share of the ACC regular season title, whether and they win it outright may, may be decided tonight, uh, but may also be decided on Saturday.
1: Yeah. And, and Sam, you should make it clear that the K man's headline was a play on words uncapable. He, he put Jeff Capel's name. In I got the, that. Right.
0: I, I, I said it. I, don't, I didn't make it explicit. So thank you for, for calling it, that. It, one it's out. a challenge. Headlines
1: are, are a visual medium typically, and we're making them audio. So it's, it's,
0: it's tough. This is, uh, th- this is the, the difficulty of podcasts. Uh, sometimes if, if our voices weren't so distinct, we would also have to announce who each of us are. Uh, so that's, that's its own problem. Uh, from Daniel, listener Daniel, Blue Devils lock up the Panthers in the Oakland Zoo with keels made of steel. Uh, I don't know if you're sensing a pattern. We are going to talk about Trevor Keels. Uh, listener, uh, listener Paula sent us Devil's Reign 3s over the pit. Which I also appreciate the pit as opposed to just pit. So uh, and guess, and
1: again a, a a a visual thing. She spelled rain not r a i
0: n but r e i g n. See, there you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so guys, I feel like we have to talk about three point shooting, and I feel like we have to talk about Trevor Keels. Uh, and and coincidentally, perhaps these thing these two things intersect. I think this is the big um, this is the big headline from from this game. So Donald, what was your headline? Uh, related to Trevor Keel's and or three-point shooting and or puns
2: about being in Pittsburgh. Well, for me it is keel mode quiets the peat as Duke declaws the Panthers.
0: Uh, Jason, did you have a did you have a distinct headline?
1: I, I do. I do. I like I actually like what I came up with. I have 201 one spelled W-O-N because this was Coach K's 201st ACC road victory. So 201 is my headline as Coach K concludes his journey through the ACC road with a blowout victory. What a fine, fine way to fin- finish off his ACC road journey.
0: I got three rivers and three pointers uh, for, for the Steel City. So let, let's works. get into this. Let's get into this, Donald. Uh, you were in the building. I need to let you go first. Tell us uh, what you saw last night, and, and I really want you to tell us about Trevor Keels.
2: Yeah, so before we get to that, let me talk about a little bit of went on pregame. Obviously, I think it was a, honestly probably the most sentimental of the gifts that Coach K has received so far this season. Uh, before the game, obviously they played a video uh, where you know a lot, a lot, Sam Clancy, who was in the building, Dick Groat, who was a former uh, you know all time legend at Duke, but also a former broadcaster for Pitt played baseball as well. One of the great athletes of our generation or of of our, just of our society. And he was in the building. So he was able to spend 15 minutes uh, with coach K uh, before the game, which I thought was pretty cool as well. There were a lot of cheers. There was a lot of Duke blue in the building. So when coach K came out, there's obviously a lot of people standing up, but after this particular commemorative video, Jeff Capel uh, who had already spent time with the, with coach and the coaching staff uh, before the game, he handed uh, he handed Coach K a sculpture that was made of Pittsburgh steel, and it was in the form of a fist. Now, everyone who has been around the Duke program in the last 42 years knows that the fist is a very central theme of Coach K's coaching, you know, mantra. And it has been something that has stuck with Jeff Capel throughout his time, both at Duke as a player, also as an assistant coach, and then in his stints as head coaches at various places. So. He presented that to him, and I think they both were very emotional when they spoke about it after the game. But even when you saw it pregame, they both looked very emotional at that point because it was a very sentimental moment. It obviously means something that throughout this whole time, that fist who you know, I mean, even as a student, we all have embraced that motto of the fist, five players performing as one, that that was the kind of gift that kind of brought it all full circle. So uh, I really thought that was Uh, a really, really cool gesture from both Jeff Capel and the Pitt Panthers.
1: And by the way, before you get Donald to Trevor Keels and the game, the other gift commemorating coach K kind of thing was they had, I'm not sure if you saw this, uh, they showed it uh, at halftime on TV. There was a guy who, who did a painting and, and the painting was, it was like, he's like a speed painter. Like he
2: did it really fast and, but he did it upside down.
1: Oh, he did. If you didn't I, notice that,
2: they, they didn't yeah. show that part, but they showed it in, obviously in the building. He bade that during halftime, upside down, which is incredible.
1: Yeah, I really loved it. It was a, it was both Jeff Capel's face and Coach K's face, sort of right next to each other. Um, and and I I thought that was really cool. I, I don't know if they actually. I'm I'm guessing they gave that to Coach K. We didn't see that happen, but uh, I, I and by the way, I I agree with you. I thought that that steel fist. Was and Coach K said in the post game that it was really heavy. <laughs> yeah. I thought, yeah, I, that's one of the cooler gifts. That I mean, it I was an oversized
0: got. fist made of steel. It was like it was like <laughs> something that that Thanos would have thought was cool. Exactly.
1: exactly. Funny
2: thing is, as Jeff Capel was like, it, I thought it would be heavier, but it, I mean, it was heavy, but it wasn't that heavy. He, I think he was saying that in jest.
0: Coach yeah. K is old, all right. I, I don't know. I don't know how much he's lifting, uh, you know, <laughs> large steel blocks anymore. I don't know if that's in his in his training regimen.
2: Yeah, but, uh, I mean, let me talk about Trevor Keels now that we're on the oh, subject yeah. of the basketball. <laughs> yeah, Keel uh, Mode was everywhere. I mean- Speaking, it, speaking I, Donald, of lifting heavy things. Right, uh, and honestly, you know, we had talked about how he'd been kind of struggling a little bit from beyond the arc uh, the last few games, uh, and he came out on fire. I mean, he, he made two threes almost immediately off the bat, 27 points, 10 for 15 from the floor, five for eight from beyond the arc. And I feel like at a certain point, and I I think I started counting. There was a point where every time if we had a possession of any kind and the ball ended up in Trevor Keel's hands, whether he shot it or not, it went in. Like if he passed it, it went in. If it, if it went around the horn, it went in every single time. It felt like that Trevor Keel's was involved in a possession Duke scored points. And I think that was the most important thing is that is what helped kind of blow the doors off. But his shooting was great. He did it with hands in the face too. Coach K made a point to mention that last night in the post-game press conference, that half of his shots, whether they were beyond the arc or in the paint, which is where he liked to, you know, he really did a lot of work, had it where they were contested shots, and he was still able to be calm and poised when he made those shots. So I I really just, it was just an incredible game from him. I think it was a career high for him uh, so far in his young career, but man, he, he just destroyed everything. And every single time he made a three, the building just deflated. Every single person wearing pit, you know, gold and blue just would sit down because at a certain point the man was on fire and everybody knew that it was going to be his night. Uh,
1: you know, regarding Trevor Keels, I-, I actually wanted to talk about him and start with his defensive effort. Cause I thought he was absolutely outstanding on D uh, he was all up in the shorts of all the pit ball handlers. He made their life miserable all game long and you guys may recall in the preview to this game, I talked about the fact that Pitt is terrible at turnovers. And, you know, that's sort of one of their main downfalls, that they turn the ball over um, uh, on about one out of every five possessions. And, and that's what happened this game as well. And a lot of that was because Trevor Keels and the other Duke perimeter defenders were, were pestering the, the Pitt perimeter guys in a very, very big way. And, you know, they, and, and when they weren't turning the ball over, they were forcing Pitt into bad shots. I mean, Pitt shot a woeful eight of 29. That's just 27%. They were eight of 29 from the field in the first half. Um, they shot better in the second half once the game was sort of over and out of hand. And, you know, th- no one was working quite as hard. But, but Trevor Keels, to me, uh, really led a lot of that defensive effort. I just noticed him really up on his man, uh, like I said, in his shorts, more than usual in this game. And, and it was just impressive defense. And, and of course, yeah, like Donald said, he was raining threes on them. He was getting to all his spots to take his two pointers, uh, you know, to take his regular field goals. He shot 10 of
0: 15 on the game. That's, that's just special. And, and by the way, 10 of 15, uh, Jason, with, uh, with most of those shots being threes, um, yeah, exactly. like even more impressive. Yeah. And, and I wanted to point out something. In the
1: past nine games since he came back from the leg injury, technically it's been ten games since he came back. But that first game against Notre Dame, he was clearly not himself. He was, you know, still really rusty. So in his past nine games since he recovered from that leg injury, he's shooting forty five percent from three. Uh,
0: he feels Jason, you stole Jason, you stole my thunder. I was gonna, I was gonna tell you that uh, prior to February, over the course of the entire season, including the injury, and then right after he came back. He had shot 29% from three and since he's 41% since the beginning of February. Yeah. Yeah. You, you saw the same kind of numbers. You, you, you researched the same kind of numbers I did.
1: I, keels. If, if Trevor keels is going to be a 40 plus percent three point shooter, which is what he has been over the past nine games. And, and AJ Griffin continues to be <laughs> around 50% shooting threes. I mean, wow. I, I don't know. I don't know how you hope to stop this Duke team because frankly, Mark Williams has been the best player
0: in a Duke uniform for the past month.
1: And And Paul he is the number one pick in the draft. And Mark
0: Williams was missing yesterday, basically. Yeah. So we'll we'll get to that later. We'll we'll get to that.
2: I will say this, just, just from the standpoint, I mean, you can expand from Trevor Keels here. We shot 59% from the floor, 50% from three and 11 for 13 from the line. So we weren't missing a lot. We shot 70% in the second half. That's just, just taking a team out of the game immediately this is the big killer here. We scored on 62% of our possessions, compared to 43% of their possessions. That right there is your ball game. Like again, that's it felt like number. every 60, that's crazy. That's sick, yeah. I mean, that includes like offensive rebounds or whatever, going to the line, making shots every, like it seemed like at a certain point, every single time we went down the floor, we got points out of it. We averaged 1.2 points per possession or something like that, which is insane. So, I, I think that is what took Pitt out of it immediately. And, and Jeff Capel even said this last night, the fact that he, someone asked if, you know, looking ahead to the NCAA tournament, if we're a good team and he goes, look, if, if they're shooting the way they've shot the last couple of games, I believe we've shot 26 threes. I mean, or made 26 threes the last couple of games. If we shoot like that, there's very few teams on the country in the country that's going to hang with us. Yeah. And, and Trevor Keels was not the only guy that was making
0: shots last night. Paula Bancaro also went three for three from beyond the arc, including a number of other made baskets. Jason, I know you took a look at the shot selection and and the shot selection chart from last night's game. What are you seeing on it?
1: Uh, Like I was saying earlier, uh, the way Duke's been shooting threes lately, there's no one that's going to beat them. And that's just, I want to be clear. That's just a fact. Uh, If this Duke team's hitting, you know, 40, 45, Last night, we hit 50% from three. If we're, if we're in that kind of range, you're, you're, not gonna, you're just not going to beat Duke. And, uh, but I wanted to talk about mid-range shots, which, as you know, are the bane of my existence. I hate mid-range jumpers. And against Syracuse, I was so excited because Duke only took 11 mid-range shots. And frankly, a lot of those were taken in the lane anyway. The shot chart was an actual thing of beauty. Against Pitt, we got away from that a little bit. Uh, Duke ended up taking 19 Mid-range jumpers. And, and unlike the Syracuse game, there were plenty of them that where they pulled up outside the lane. Um, you know, Trevor Keels and Paula Bancaro were unafraid to take, you know, mildly to to somewhat severely contested 13, 14, 15, even like 18 footers. And and there's a piece of me that cringed every time they did. But you know what? <laughs> In this game, they hit them. Uh, Duke hit 13 of 19 on mid-range jumpers, which is just a crazy kind of number. And I I just wanted to segue from that to I thought Paulo looked incredibly comfortable in this game all of a sudden. He has has looked uncomfortable for a long time, and it's like the Syracuse game reminded him of of the shots that he wants to take and the shots that he's capable of making. And, uh, you know, against Syracuse, he took all those threes in the corner. He was four of four on corner threes. In this game, he was three of three, but he didn't take any corner threes. He took them all from pretty much straight on or, or just a little bit on the wing. Uh, but he, like I said, it just looks to me like Paulo feels like he understands what he wants to do again. And, and he had a, a good month where it felt like he didn't know what he wanted to do on offense. Um, and, and frankly, the past two games, Paulo has looked like the number one pick in the draft again. And it's been the first time in several weeks that he looked, he's looked that way. And,
2: I mean, it's impossible not to feel like things are just coming together. <laughs> he looked great last night. Uh, I mean, just the, the simple fact that, I mean, even the ones that you kind of like, you know, would pause for a little bit saying, oh, that's probably not a good shot. He, he looked comfortable taking it. And I think it wasn't where he felt. For, I don't think there was one shot last night where I thought he looked forced in doing it. He was in control the entire time. And I think that's the key here going to the other side of the court where Pittsburgh was on offense and and
0: Duke was on defense. uh, We talked a little bit about, about being able to frustrate them, but Duke was able to uh, force Pittsburgh into a, uh, into a wrong sided assist to turnover ratio yesterday. Um, Pitt had 12 assists and turned the ball over 13 times. And normally Duke is getting assists by stealing the ball. Duke only had five steals yesterday. So there was a lot of frustration um, from the, you know, at at the defensive end. I mean, you can honestly just look at the, just look at the scoring uh, and, and say, wow, Pitt was really not able to get anything going yesterday. Um, None of their guys had, had particularly keen shooting nights, Uh, you know, so, so a really great effort by Duke to, to frustrate Pitt. Not that, Not that Pitt's offense is is particularly efficient, even against a a mediocre opponent, but good to see Duke kind of, you know, kind of keep them at a distance the whole time, because as we've, as we've been saying, these are not games that, that Duke wants to be making them competitive just for the sake of competitive. Um, Pitt was not able to get anything going on offense yesterday. And,
1: and, you know, Sam hand in hand with your talk about Pitt's turnovers was the fact that Duke had only six turnovers in this game. And as a result, we won like the points off turnover battle 21 to six there, you know, it was clear that Duke was doing what they wanted and Pitt was unable to do what it wanted the whole game. Um, I-, I-, I just thought it was, uh, it, w- it was really impressive at both ends of the floor. And it feels to me like Duke is sort of playing like champions. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously they, they've now locked up, you know, number one seed in the ACC and, Uh, And I know that there are, there's much, much more that this team hopes to accomplish. But when you, when you look at the Duke teams that accomplish big things that win ACC tournaments and that go deep or win NCAA tournaments, there are usually around this time of the year, the team starts to really gel and really play in a way where, where you can see that this is a team that could be a champion. And I feel like we have started to see that lately. Since that inexplicable loss to UVA, Duke has been the best team in the country. I'm not saying that my opinion. I'm saying that based on the numbers. Bart Torvik allows you to sort his – I've mentioned this before. You can sort his ranking by date. If you go to Duke's last seven games since that Virginia game and you sort the entire country, the Duke Blue Devils have been the best team in the country over those past seven games. Duke's won seven of our past ten games by double digits. We've had a lead of 15 points or more. Again, not just winning by double digits. Duke has led by 15 or more in eight of our last 10 games. Only UVA, Virginia, is the only team. And part of that, I think, is the pace they play at. But Virginia has been the only team that Duke has not posted a 15-plus point lead against in their past 10 games. This is what great teams do. It takes the opponent out of the game from the start, cuts off their hope, and and, and then never lets them back in it. And, and I want last thing I wanted to mention, we, we just posted three road wins in six
2: days. That's crazy. And that five is, in the last seven games. This seven-game winning streak concludes five on the road.
1: Yeah, but three road wins in, seven, in six days is truly impressive. It shows that this team has the focus, the fortitude to handle the quick turnaround of the NCAA tournament. I'm as optimistic as I've ever been about this Duke club right now even more so than after we beat Gonzaga.
2: I think also uh, going back to the other side of the ball for a second, um, Duke allowed 19 points in the first half, which is the second lowest that they've allowed in the season. I mean, they, uh, that there was that Notre Dame game back on January 31st, where we allowed 14 points and it was, I mean, window Moore did great. I think, you know, for all the struggles that Mark Williams had on offense on defense Again, there's a lot of times he, he blocked a couple of shots early, mo- like monster blocks. He had a, a couple of dunks or one dunk. And then guys were just not going in the paint because once he came out the game, Theo John was also doing work in, inside two on defense. There's a lot of guys who are locking down and making Pitt take terrible shots. And that w- it, we, we didn't get a lot of steals. We normally get what, like eight or nine steals in a game. We only got five. But I wasn't worried about that because our defense was so great at locking down guys and making them take shots that were really, really far off. And Pitt just can never get a handle of that.
0: Jason, let's wrap up the good. I want you to tell me about Wendell Moore's performance last night.
2: Yeah,
1: stop me if you've heard this before. <laughs> but Wendell Moore went for a 10-5-5. Five and five. In fact, he had 13 points, six rebounds, and five assists. Um, I, I know in our little stat game that we did at the beginning of the season, I know that there are several categories that I absolutely am getting blown out of the water on. Um, but I think I'm so happy that I came up with the idea of tracking Wendell's 10, 5, and 5 games, because it has really turned into something special for him. It so perfectly captures the full scope of how Wendell impacts the game in so many different arenas. And in fact, I, I now feel kind of bad. I think we should be tracking 10, 5, 5, and 2 and include steals. Because you know, that, that would measure his defensive prowess a little bit as well. By the way, he only had one steal yesterday. So it was not a 10, 5, 5, and 2 game. <laughs> it's a joy to watch the way he impacts the game in so many different, so many different ways. And, and he was at it again last night. I mean, 13, 6, and 5. You know, and he does that consistently almost every game. I feel like, you know. We 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 overlook a little bit of of the greatness that it takes to be that in control of a basketball game.
0: All right, guys, I want to transition very quickly and and just talk about the bad from this game because there were a couple of, of points of improvement. We highlighted one of them, I think, in the good. I, I had mentioned Mark Williams, who did not have a great stat line yesterday. Jason, what did you see from Mark and and, and what what was missing yesterday in his performance? I feel like part of it might have just been that. Pitt is sort of a, a different type of team where it's hard to keep him on the floor and, and productive. Right.
1: Yeah. And John Hugley, the, the Pitt big man, um, I, I, he was sort of having his way inside, especially in the second half. Uh, and he's, he's very good. Let's be clear. Uh, they sit on the broadcast. This is a guy who's probably going to end up making one of the all ACC teams. And, and I think he deserves it. He's, he's Pitt's best player. And, and I think him being burly, he, he's not super tall. Um, but he, he's very, he's very physical and he's very big. And, and that may be the kind of opposing big man that gives Mark Williams a little bit of trouble. We've seen Mark handle guys who are super skilled. We've seen him handle guys who are, who are long and, and, and who are tall. I think that maybe the burly guy is the kind of player that gives Mark um, uh, you know, some, some difficulties uh, uh, and, and hand in hand with Mark, you know, he was just one of four from the field. Mark had, you know, only two points. Uh, Duke's rebounding. Like, the, the bad thing I wanted to mention was, you know, Mark only had three rebounds. Um, Paulo Paulo Bancaro, I think, only had one rebound, I, th- I think. So I, I got to look back at the box score and see the exact number. But uh, Duke did not get the kind of rebounding that you would expect from... Sorry, Mark Williams had two rebounds and, and Paulo had one. So we got a total of three rebounds. From, from our two primary big men. And I, I know that we didn't miss many shots. Duke didn't, but we only grabbed five total offensive rebounds. That's kind of a low total. So, you know, I, I, I feel like it, it, there's not much bad in this game. I'm, I'm reaching, but if I'm going to reach for something, it's that Duke did not rebound well and we allowed John Hughley to have a big game. But I'm not that worried about this because, like I said, I think Mark Williams has been the best player for the Duke Blue Devils over the past month. So one off game I can
2: live with. John Hughley was way more aggressive in the second half than he was in the first. I think uh, he took the game to Mark Williams and and Theo John when they were in the game. If you noticed in the second half, he spent a lot of time just making sure he got himself inside the restricted area around the basket so that he knew once he got the ball, all he had to do was go straight up and know that he was either going to get fouled or they're going to let him get the basket. So I thought he was way more aggressive than that. And, And I think in the second half, um, Mark Williams, Paul Bancaro, Theo John, our big men, uh, should really focus on keeping guys out of that part because that's where fouls occur and that's where quick points will allow a team to creep back into the game. When it comes to Pitt, though, they were never in this game, so it was going to take a lot of John, John Hughley to get back in this game, and they just didn't have nine guys that were named Hughley scoring points in the second half. I think with Duke, just the closeout uh, in the second half defensively making sure guys don't get in the paint and cleaning that up a little bit. It, that's the only really thing I saw from Duke that wasn't a, a real backbreaker.
0: Donald, at what point in the game yesterday did it feel like Duke sort of had the thing locked up? Because on TV, it, it, it was it was basically like there wasn't much that Pitt could do to, to counter Duke, at least not
2: in the long run. Uh, well, according to where I was sitting in the press box, it was about three minutes into the game uh, when we were up 16-3. to three, um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, I'll say the students ended up leaving with about seven minutes left of the game, minus a nice little, I, I thought it was kind of a, a funny thing. Uh, in the corner by the Duke bench, there was a group of students who were just drawn with Theo John the entire game. And I just want those students know that you are not about that life. Theo John is the wrong one to be messing with and there's a couple times where where, when Theo John had his dunk his lone basket of the game he dunked and he pointed right at those students and those students just the just the sheer look of terror across their face I could see from the press box so uh, but for most of the students they weren't really into it there was times uh, I, I think I may have told you guys this last night but there was times where I could hear the communication on the court from the players, which if you're in a press box, you should never be able to hear. Yeah, you're uh, a long way away. I <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like I was at the top of the state, at the top of the arena. I was in the middle, but no, like you should not be hearing that. I'm in Cameron and can't hear. Uh, I could be in the student section in Cameron and not hear the guys communicate on the court. I could hear from the press box. So that just tells you how quiet it was at times. They tried to get into it, but at a certain point with about, I think the under eight timeout, in the second half, is when a lot of the students and fans started heading for the exits. Jason, speaking of the
0: in-game experience, uh, I know you wanted to just to, to spend a minute on the announcing crew from last night. Corey Alexander was, was on the, uh, the color commentary, if I recall correctly. You, you do
1: recall, recall correctly. And, and I want to point out, uh, Donald, you praised Corey Alexander on our last podcast. You talked about how much you liked him against the Syracuse game. Um, mm-hmm. You gave him some love. I'm going to give him a little bit of hate. So Corey Alexander gets a vote for the ACC awards for all ACC and player of the year, defensive player of the year, stuff like that. And 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 that's a pity because Corey Alexander uh, had some really, really bad takes about who should win the major ACC awards. First of all, he said that he's picking Armando Baycott for ACC player of the year over Alondis Williams. I, th- I think that's absurd. Alondis Williams leads the ACC in scoring and assists. He has transformed a woeful Wake Forest team into a contender overnight. Armando Baycott is a nice player. He's a great rebounder and he should be first team all ACC, but he should not be player of the year. It should clearly be um, Alondis Williams. And Corey Alexander said that Alondis Williams, uh, oh, his, his plays declined lately. That's why I'm picking Armando Baycott. Alondis Williams has had two okay games, not like terrible games, but he's been, other than that, he's been great. Like the past two games, yeah, he's been a little bit off, but I mean, come on, like, uh, it, it's, it's preposterous. And, and then Corey Alexander explained his defensive player of the year pick. And he said that he was picking Reese Beekman because his other two contenders are Mark Williams and Wendell Moore. And he said, he's picking Reese Beekman because he can't tell which of Mark Williams or Wendell Moore is better on Duke. And so he's picking someone who's not on Duke because he can tell that Reese Beekman the best defender on Virginia.
2: Huh? It's mind-bogglingly stupid. <laughs> to to be fair, to be fair Jason, on the last show you mentioned that that was going to be something that you feared voters would get into. Oh yeah. Oh but wait, what I feared was them splitting their ballot.
1: But splitting your ballot doesn't mean you just pick the other guy. Like I feared oh, the other some, guy. <laughs> some people will take Mark Williams, some people will take Wendell Moore, but then there'll be non-Duke people who who really go for Speakman. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to say I'm picking this guy because the other two guys who may be better than him, uh, they're on the same team. And I can't tell which of them is more dominant. That's just dumb. That's just Corey Alexander. That's, that's not a good, if you want to pick Reese Beekman, pick Reese Beekman, don't pick Reese Beekman because you can't decide
2: whether Mark Williams or Wendell Moore is a better defender on Duke. To to be fair, this is not the first time that someone has said that about a a race that's like this, Uh, not even in the sport, not even in sports. Jason, you're a fan of movies. This happens in the Oscars and the Golden Globes does. all the it time. Does. So I, I, I'm not too concerned about that. I, I will say Armando Bacot is probably like maybe fourth or fifth on my list of guys that I would consider for ACC Player of the Year, not number one. So, but I mean, to each their own. I will say this, Jason, for I, I'm it's funny that you mentioned that because I got three people who messaged me last night saying, Hey, I listened to what you said about Corey Alexander and Dave O'Brien, and I loved what they had to say during the game about the game. I don't, I think, you know, the, the awards that was standing, a lot of people commented on how cool or how good they were, uh, on the broadcast last night for the game perspective.
1: The last thing I'll mention though, about Corey Alexander is, uh, when Michael Savarino came in the game at the end of the contest. Corey Alexander said he's a senior. He won't be playing next year. Um, but no, that's that's not the case. And I would think that Corey Alexander has a roster like right in front of him where he can look these things up. But anyway, Michael Savarino actually has three years of eligibility left. I know that seems crazy, <laughs> and he's, <laughs> he's a junior.
0: But he's, but he's but he's losing his most important uh, advocate on the that's team. That's true because right. his grandfather's not going to be the coach next year. Anyway, that is that's neither here nor there, guys. Let's leave the pit game where it is. Uh, We are going to do a different episode later this week to preview the UNC game. I'll tell you more about our upcoming plans for the podcast, at least in the near term after the break. We'll also uh, go around, take a quick look at the ACC and and do a couple other topics before we get out of here. Stick around. So as we mentioned before the break, we are not going to preview UNC yet. We will leave that for its own preview because it's, it's too big a deal. It is Coach K's obviously last game at, at Cameron Indoor that a couple of us will be in attendance for, uh, that, that all kinds of Duke Luminaries will, will be in the building for. So if you're lucky enough to have a ticket to this one, man, it's, it's going to be incredible. But if you're not, you can hang out with us and, and we'll tell you all about what to expect in that game. That preview is coming later. Before we wrap up, though, Jason Evans, I know, has a, has a quick game to play for us. So, Jason, I will turn it over to you.
1: Yeah. So, guys, I was looking at Duke's stats for the month of February because I feel like this team really started coming to its own in February. And I feel like a lot of things happened differently in February than had been happening earlier in the season. So I'm going to ask you guys, first of all, I want to guess, do you know who led Duke in scoring during
0: the month of February? I would guess it's A.J. Griffin.
2: Through a month of February? Yeah. I'm a go Mark Williams.
1: Ooh, nice. It was, in fact, Mark Williams. And yeah. it, it, when I noticed that at first, I was like, wow, it wasn't Paulo. Because Paulo has been Duke's scoring leader all season long. But Mark Williams averaged 14.1 points per game. Paulo, 14 points per game. AJ Griffin, 13.9. So it was very close. But Mark Williams led Duke in scoring in the month of February. Who do you think led the team in rebounding?
0: that i would have guessed was mark williams
2: aj
1: griffin paulo (laughs) (laughs) Bancaro. paulo had seven and a half rebounds per game during the month of february um who do you think led duke in assists
0: this is very interesting i actually have paulo this is paulo this is paulo i was going to guess wendell moore because it feels like he's been coming on stronger with the ball handling
1: so it was wendell moore but paulo made it close Paulo averaged four assists per game. Wendell Moore averaged four point six during the month of February. How about steals?
0: Griffin. This I'm going to go with. I was going to say this I'm going to go with Wendell Moore, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's Jeremy Roach.
1: No, no, it, it it is Wendell Moore. Um, and I was going to ask you about blocks, but how many blocks per game? I mean, clearly it's Mark Williams. I think this is going to surprise you guys. How many blocks per game do you think Mark Williams averaged during the month of February?
0: Is it over three? blocks per game for mark williams because i mean if so that's that's nuts Um, and you're sort of implying that it's a big number
2: i am going to say 1.5 blocks per game wow
1: you guys went in very different directions and it's in the middle it's 2.3 i would have thought it was more than three it feels like mark has been dominating to the point of of getting three blocks per game but it's 2.3 all right i got another cool stat for you guys i want you to guess how many free throws AJ Griffin took in the entire month of February, a whole month. How many free throws did AJ Griffin take?
2: How many free throws total did he take in February? Um, Twenty-seven. Sam,
0: I, I feel like I don't have a good uh, a good gauge for this. How many? I'm looking. How many games were there in February? One, two, three, like 10, four, right? five, six, seven, eight games eight. in February. Yeah, uh, a good number there. Let's say AJ Griffin took. 53 free throws in the month of february i got no i got you no ready cases. you guys ready yeah the number is nine that is oh. a shockingly low <laughs> number wait what does he never get fouled <laughs> right
1: a.j griffin never gets he never gets fouled he only took nine that? free throws in the
0: entire month isn't that crazy why doesn't anyone foul a.j griffin <laughs> i don't know it, this it seems this seems like a big question like <laughs> i don't I don't like this one i, I don't I don't like that number I, I is that because he's taking a lot of threes i mean yeah like, he's, taking well, he's, been
1: hit, he's been hit
2: on those threes too
1: like, I think what, I think that when he goes to the basket, even if he gets hit, he's so strong that it doesn't look like he's been interfered with and so he doesn't draw nine total free throws for the month. He was eight or four, by the way. Great, or great he does percentage. what he
2: did last night. Or he does what he did last night where everyone gets the hell out of the way because he's coming in <laughs> from like the uh, the upper elbow and just tomahawks on everybody.
1: All right, so one other cool stat that i noticed, and I, we can stop with this sort of trivia game kind of thing, but uh, Joey Baker, whew, you want Coach K, late in the season, loves to shorten that rotation. Boy, Joey Baker has been shorted right out of that rotation. Joey Baker only averaged 6.9 minutes per game during the month of, month of February. Um, in in January in like the last 7 games of January Joey played a minimum of 12 minutes per game, 12 minutes in every one of those games. Like he played between 12 and 20 minutes constantly throughout January, starting with the very first game of February, he only had one game where he even reached 10 minutes, that Florida State game where he went off. That's the only game where he even played 10 minutes. He was mostly playing you know, four, five, six minutes per game during the month of February. The the Coach K bench shortening really, really got to him. Last question for you guys. Ready? I want to know how many guys on the Duke team shot above 40% from three in the month of February. Not not counting. I I, I, Sabarino and we know, my, I, I I'm not and we counting know Sabarino.
0: That, We know that Keels did because I already spoiled this in the yes. in the first half of the show. So Keels. Griffin, I don't think Paulo got to 40% because I feel like we'd be talking about it more if he was all of a sudden like a lights out 40% shooter. So Keels, Griffin, I don't think Moore got there either, but Jeremy Roach might have because
2: he's been shooting better. I'm going to go three. Uh, no? Guys who shot over 40, you said over 40%, right? Correct. 40% from three. I'm going to say... You got to do this out loud, Donald. This is not yeah. a this is yeah. not a silent activity. Okay.
0: We're on a podcast.
2: I, no, I'm just I'm in my mind. I'm doing math here. It's like an I'm algorithm. watching. I'm Sometimes. watching Donald do the math in his head. Donald, do the math out loud. <laughs> okay, so I got Paulo, Wendell, carry the one, Jeremy, Trevor Keels plus two. Um, and then is there a minimum number of threes? No,
1: no, like no. rotation guys. Rotation guys.
2: Oh. I mean, not including, I, like gonna, I said, not including Saverino, who might have. I, I just didn't see his stats for. 50. I was OK. Um, I'm going to say four because I'm going to say Bates Jones is in there, too.
1: So the the answer is four, but not the four that you mentioned. A.J. Griffin, Trevor mm-hmm. Keels, Jeremy Roach and Joey Baker all hit more than 40 percent from three. Joey actually hit 57 percent of his threes during the month. He, he barely played. <laughs> I was going to say, how many how many threes did he take? Seven. Yeah,
0: yes, he was four of seven on three-pointers. <laughs> how was that, how is that for, for, for for backwards mental math was recognizing that 50% was four for seven? That's pretty, pretty nice. Nailed that's it. pretty nice. Well done, Sam. So that, <laughs> yeah, that, I, I just That's thought my value some, add here.
1: Yeah, I just thought those were some interesting statistical kind of, and, and by the way, Wendell Moore was at 39% on three-pointers for the month. So he was, and, and you guys mentioned Paulo. Paulo was at 29. Like Paulo was not good shooting threes, but the rest of the team was great.
0: He was and, good. Paulo was good yesterday shooting threes. He and, was. Yes. And, and he, was he was good the, good the other day Syracuse. too. So, whatever, yeah. whatever Trevor Keels did in the month of February to just level up on three-point shooting, hopefully Paulo just like takes that secret stuff and uses it in the month of March. And then he can level up too. And then Duke is going to be an unstoppable shooting team and no one's going to be able to touch them in the tournament. I I hardly endorse that happening. This would be this would be great. All right. So, so looking ahead, we said that Duke has already clinched uh, – has already clinched the top spot in the ACC tournament. They've already clinched at least a share of the ACC regular season title. Notre Dame has, has two games left. They play Florida state tonight and then they play Pitt on Saturday and they have to win. um, They have to win both of those games and Duke has to lose on Saturday for to, uh, to North Carolina for them to, to tie in the loss column. So things are looking pretty good for Duke on that front. Um, Uh, elsewhere around the ACC, we we can do a uh, maybe longer look at the at the conference standings, especially as it relates to the ACC tournament at the end of the of all the games on Saturday. Um, But it's not like anyone's (laughs) our our general uh, overview of the ACC from the last few weeks has not changed much. hard to get separation when everyone else that you're playing against is also likely not bound for the tournament, which is, which is a tough place to be in guys, anything else before we wrap here? I know that Jason has a, has a fun story from an email that we received.
1: Yeah. Uh, Steve Van dude, um, is a listener who attended the Syracuse game and he wrote to us and he said, Oh, it was great. I had these really good seats and I could hear what was going on around the bench. And I went, okay, Steve, tell me, (laughs) what did you hear? And and he told a great little story that I just wanted to share with everyone. He said that before the game, there was a Syracuse security guard that came up to Coach K and said, just so you know, when Syracuse wins this game, you have to leave the floor through a different tunnel for safety reasons. That, like, you know, when the if the students storm the floor, we need to take you out through a different tunnel. Um, which was a little confusing because Steve said that the the tunnel that Duke had come in through was like five feet away from the bench. But he said, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. He said, after the Syracuse security guard, said that to coach K coach K called the entire team over. He called everyone over to him. And he go, he said, and, and we're going to use a little bit of color for coach K language. Cause this is how coach K said it. He said, they just told me that after they beat us, we have to leave the floor over there. And then coach K said, the only fucking way I'm leaving this floor is the exact same way. We took it. <laughs> and the, the team, the team was like hopping after that. They were like, Oh yeah, we're going out the way we came in.
2: And uh <laughs> it's very inspiring, actually.
1: It's exactly. I like that. I like that. So hey, hey
2: Jason, tell yeah. coach, tell coach I'm ready to play. He, he, he had me. Hello, I'm ready. Like, just give me the ball, coach. I'm ready.
1: Coach <laughs> K knows how to fire these guys up. I, I love that story. Like they told us we have to leave through a different a re, different tunnel. Damn it, we're not leaving through, we're leaving <laughs> the same way we came in this place. So uh that was Steve's story.
2: And He's I was really like, I left that. my car, I left my car over here. My car is like, <laughs> <whoop>, over there. <laughs> So thanks to
0: uh, to listener Steve for providing that that behind the scenes look for us. That was fun, guys. We are going to leave it there. Uh, as I said, we're going to do another episode where we preview the Carolina game coming up. We will recap that episode. We'll talk about the ACC tournament. And if you're if you're keeping track of the episode numbers here, we are quickly approaching episode 400, which means we have a uh, return visit due from Kenny Denard. So that is also coming up. He's been working on a very cool coach K special or worked on a cool coach K special with the ACC network. So we'll get a preview from him on uh, or a recap on the process and a preview from him on what that was like. Uh, So stick around for that. Hopefully that is, that is coming into your feeds next week along with all of the great content around the ACC tournament and uh, and the approaching March madness tournament. So, For Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. Stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We love your headlines. We love your comments. We love that it's all been been coming in uh, uh, pretty heavy the last few weeks, so keep that up. We will talk to you again soon. This has been Episode 396 of the Duke Basketball Report Podcast. Duke Band, take us home.
2: I mean, if you think about it, like there's obviously like the NBA players who won't who a lot of them won't be there. There'll probably be some who have an off night and can go. But like there's probably players who can't get tickets. Like former players who want to come back. Oh, yeah. Like if you think about it, there's been some players. Not I'm going to text like I'm
0: going to I'm going to I'll text Nicky Sutton and ask if he's going. And if he's going, it means that everyone's getting tickets. <laughs>
2: But like, I, I mean, there's been some guys him like, and, uh, necessarily uh, like him, and, <laughs> him and him and him and Steve Johnson, although they're both friends with Shire. So they probably maybe. It's yeah, different. like not the top guys, but like there's been some guys who are prominent. Like, do people know who they are, who I've noticed have been going to games this season um, that they haven't been going to in a while. And I'm like, OK, I'm sure they were like, yo, there's no way you're getting a ticket to this game. So I'm, But we can get you into this game. So you've noticed I've noticed a few of those guys coming back for random games during the season, because in my mind, I think that they're going to be shut out of this. I don't have, or, I don't have or, a, or otherwise unavailable.
1: I don't T- know. How Taman many, Domzalski, Taman Domzalski may have trouble. I don't know. Like Marty Poshus
2: is not going to be there. Marty Poches. He Wait, doesn't know. Have to
0: fly over from Europe. No, Marty Poshus is a scout. He's an assistant. GM. He's a, scout. a
2: scout for somebody. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't.
0: Um, okay. And an American scout. So no, he should be there because he can make the excuse that he's, you know, Scouting Paulo, checking on yeah, checking on all the on all the first-round picks on Duke. Just making sure the lights are on.
2: They are. I guess I'll stay.